This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Whitmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast right here on Most Valuable Podcast. And Brandon, I don't know about you. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I walked in today and I was like, did we do a podcast last week? Like, it has seemed like forever since you and I have done a podcast, even though it has been one full week since we have done a podcast. I do that. I've been doing that probably for the last four to five weeks. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Did we do a podcast last week? I don't, I almost don't remember. I I don't know if that's good or that's bad, but that's how I felt today. But we did. There's so much that happens in between those, Mm -hmm. those days that, that in that week, a ton happens. Like Mm -hmm. this past Thursday felt like three days in one for me. Oh dude, this, this Saturday felt like three days in one did three podcasts in that day that's why it felt like three days in one but welcome to the primetime podcast right here on most valuable podcast this is where we talk about college basketball college football nba draft nfl draft and we get you guys set up for those little housekeeping before we get into what we're going to talk about if you like what we're doing here on the channel if you're new if you're Old, you're not you like what we're doing, check out patreon.com backslash most valuable. I was old. gonna say if you don't like it, but hey, if you like it, if you don't like it, check out patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. We're gonna have Matt on next week, one of our patrons. How do you become like Patrick or Patrick and Matthew? You check out the Patreon page down below. Also, if you want an MVP t-shirt, that link is also in the description for our store. We're also on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Go give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And then go ahead and bookmark mostvillepodcast.com. That's where we put everything for MVP each and every day. But Brandon, we got a jam-packed show, as I usually like to say. Starting off with college basketball, a topic that you wanted to talk about as soon as as the well before the final buzzer sounded, you sent me a text saying you wanted to talk about Villanova and if they should be considered one of the greatest teams of all time with the little run that they've had in the past three years with the two national championship appearances. Then we're going to look at NFL draft the rest of the show. We're going to dive into Shaquem Griffin because I'll be honest, I don't know what his stock exactly is where he will be drafted because of his situation. We're going to dive into that. And then we're going to do something we have not done. And we've talked enough about Saquon Barkley. We're going to talk about the other running backs that are behind Saquon Barkley and kind of rank them and tell you who we like, who we don't like. But, Brandon, we're going to jump in college basketball. The question is, should modern Villanova, so we're saying like the recent Villanova team, should they be considered – a greatest of all time team. What do you think? I I think that you can really and 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 people will probably disagree with me heavily on this, but I think that you can put them into the category of one of the best runs ever and one of the best teams in terms of teams that are not one and done teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at their last five years, they won two national championships, four Big East titles, 165 wins, three times a number one seed, five uh, top two seeds. You haven't seen that type of run, that type of five-year run in quite some time. They did not lose, obviously, one game 
in their tournament run. They did not lose any. They did. They won every single game by double digits. Mm-hmm. And they lost four games all season long. They didn't lose any game by more than eight points. This team and this this culture, I think it's the culture that's bigger for Villanova. They come in and they know the culture. You and Jay Wright has said it multiple times. And if you watch any interviews, you watch any, you know, documentary bits, you either want to come to Villanova or you do not want to come to Villanova. You either like that culture and you can fit right mm-hmm. into it or you do not. And I, I think that uh, John Calipari over at Kentucky has kind of said the same type of thing. And, and we talked about that, I think, a little bit when we compared Duke and Kentucky there. But you're either gonna you're gonna come to Kentucky for one reason or another. You come to Kentucky, we're gonna make sure you get to the NBA, everything like that, blah, blah, blah. You go to Duke, there's going to be the Duke way. You're gonna be set for life, you mm-hmm. go to Duke. So I think that when you look at Villanova, are they the absolute if you look and you rank every single team all time, are they the absolute best college program ever? No. Mm. No, I think by far it's probably Kentucky based on how many national championships they have and how many wins they have. But can you say that Villanova is the best team, has been the best team of the last five years? Absolutely. Villanova currently right now, they are, I think, clearly the best team, and they have been the best team in college basketball for that time span. Now with me, here's the thing. First off, the title of this on YouTube is going to bring people in and they're going to be like, no, obviously they're not the greatest team of all time. There's a little clickbaitiness to the title that we have done. But here's the problem that I have with Villanova, where in the la- if we're looking microcosm last three years, it's been a little nice run. You make it to the national. So you win the national championship two years ago, then you lose in the second round. And then you win the championship. So you're two and one with that second year being a second round. But the thing that I the thing that I look at is is Villanova. Obviously, they're not one of the greatest teams of all time, in my opinion. This could be one of the best runs that we've seen in the tournament. But for me as Villanova right now, I think it's too early to look at this modern Villanova and kind of judge where they're going because Villanova, for me, they've been a part of the Big East since I can remember, and Jay Wright has been there since 2001, so he's had a tenure of being at Villanova. It's not like he's just brand new, and besides early on, he had a few regional semifinals, regional finals, but since, what, 29-2010, until the 2016 national tournament, Villanova was always a team. So basically, I'm dating myself here. So from my second year, my sophomore year of college, until 2015-2016, Villanova was always a team where when I was filling out my bracket, just one and done. Have them win the first one, lose the second one, you'll be fine. Don't let them go to the national championship. They're only going to break your heart. Don't pick them. But, Ricky, they're a number one seed. Don't pick them. They're a one-and-done team. You know better than that. That was obviously broken a little bit in 2013, 2014, and the year after when they went to the second weekend but lost in the Sweet 16. But this is a team that in the last three years – 
have proven that they can go far in the national tournament with that second year, 2016, 2017, kind of being the only outlier. It's funny, though, to me, and this is off a little bit, it's funny to me that both North Carolina and Villanova in the last three years have gone to two national championship games and have been bounced in the second round. For NC, it was lose to Villanova, then win the whole thing the next year, then get bounced in the second round this year. So they're kind of on the same track in the last three years. But the thing that I think keeps them from greatest of all time, and we don't know if this is going to get answered because this could be the beginning of something special. But like I look back to, I'm looking at North Carolina right now, and there was a time between, of course, this is before you and I were born, Brandon, but I mean... You look between the 1981 tournament and the 93 national tournament, NC was in either the regional semifinal, the regional final, or the national final. They were either Elite Eight, Final Four, or national championship. You could do the same thing with Kentucky in the, what was it, the early 90s, where they went to the national championship game a few years in a row. So there have been teams that have made it farther more consistently and see that's the problem I have with Villanova if we're going to put the program in that next level is was this year and 2016 a fluke not eh, the fluke's not a word I want to use was it consistent or was this like okay you had just a really good team but let's be honest you're a team that gets through the big east you have 30 wins in your your 30 wins because of the conference you play in but when we put you in the tournament, you get bounced in the second game of the national tournament. It's like, which team are you? I don't know if I definitively want to say you're out of that rut completely if you're Villanova. Well, I think if you look at the last, and the reason why I, I say the last five years, and I guess you could even say six, mm-hmm. it's that they've they started to find some consistency. Mm-hmm. So six years ago, 2012-13, <sighs> lost second round. 13-14 lost third round. 14-15 mm-hmm. lost third round. They're going pretty far. Yeah. 15-16, they won, obviously, the national championship. In 16-17, they lost that second round. And in 17-18, of course, this past season, they win it all again. I think that's pretty consistent. I think it's pretty consistent. If you're not winning it all, you're going deep. Mm-hmm. You're going deep in the tournament. And, of course, it's always to win it all. It's to make the Sweet 16. It's to get to the Elite Eight. They're doing exactly that, and they've been doing exactly that for the last five to six years. I think that all of that, plus two national championships, that's you can't ask for a whole lot more. You can ask for a national championship every year. That's about as unrealistic as it gets. Mm-hmm. But... That's why Villanova, to me, again, I I would agree with you. I don't think that they're the best program ever. But something clicked with Jay Wright a couple of years ago when they were only getting to the second round, losing, where they weren't making it past game two, losing, where they were that, okay, yep, they're the number one, like you said, and no one took them seriously. No one took that number one seriously Mm -hmm. for a long time. And I think something clicked with him, and he realized he had to go back to the culture that that Villanova was built on and recruit based on that culture. And that's when it got to the whole, 
you're going to either want to come here because you want to be part of the Villanova culture or you're not going to come here because you don't want to be part of that. And I think once he got back to that, they started to win again. They played well as a team. You could see how well they play as a team. They have really good teammates Mm -hmm. on that team. Again, they get to know each other really well because for the most part, they stay in school. How about Ryan Archidiacono? How about Josh Hart? How about Jalen Brunson? I mean, these, these are all guys who they're staying past two years or staying all four years. Now, Mikhail Bridges, I know, is... Uh, an exception to that. Mm-hmm. It will be an exception to that. Remarkable player. But these guys have played well, very, very well together and have played with each other for a long time or did play with each other for a long time. And Jay Wright has done such a great job of building a program that's not, again, for the most part, not a one and done program. And I think possibly the best non-one-and-done program in the country, certainly over the last five years, and possibly farther, just because of how the team is. I mean, you look at, of course, you look at the Kentuckys, you look at the Dukes. They are almost always going to win because they are getting absolute NBA talent, could have probably gone in high school, but will certainly go after their first year. And that's the one thing I want to interject is usually these schools, because... Now, I'm going to call the Big East a smaller conference now ever since the Yukons and Syracuse's left that um, conference. Usually these smaller conference teams have less one-and-done teams and more guys that like, oh, we have juniors, seniors, more experienced players. How many teams did we have like UMBC when they beat Virginia? How many times did you hear the announcers say, well, this UMBC team is very experienced. They got a lot of juniors and seniors. Or like you're talking about Loyola where it's like, oh, these guys are experienced, juniors and seniors, and they're not freshmen. And those are also a lot of the times the the schools and the teams that have guys that, you know, one, maybe they're not even going to the NBA. Mm -hmm. Two, if they're going to the NBA, they'll, you know, maybe eventually be signed, picked up, stuff like that. Yeah. But – they're, I mean, they're, I, but I think that's also realized. Let's be honest. I mean, no, Archie Diakono only has a job in the NBA because the Bulls need to suck. That's the only reason why he has a roster spot. Well, again, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think that you're, you're, you, but people, people understand that. What I'm saying is, mm-hmm. people understand that you, you go to Duke and you go to Kentucky because you are a top talent. It's a pathway you're, you're, to the NBA. Going, they are. That is exactly what they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're driving along the highway. You see Duke and you see Kentucky, pathway to the NBA here. I mean, it's lit up. Exit you, one, exit two. But if you want to play and have a fun four years and win 30 games each year, Villanova's on the other side. They're on the other side of the highway. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's that's. But people, guys, know that. That's, again, the culture. You want that culture or you don't. You, you realize you're going to be a, a one-and-done player, and if you do, most likely you're not going to go to Villanova. Maybe you do, again, Bridges. But I, I think that if, if we look at who Duke just recently signed, all their, their three recruits that they just signed, I mean, do you think They're that we— They're reloading. Do, do you, They're reloading. But do you think that we see those guys go past one year? No. No, you don't. But now if Villanova signs three guys— 
most likely at least two out of the three are going three years or more. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm more impressed with Villanova because they're not doing it. They're not doing it with guys that are coming in that are going to make them this huge powerhouse for a year, and then they'll reload for the next one. They're built, they've built. they built a program, mm -hmm. whereas I, I think that Calipari and uh, Krzyzewski – They've got guys there. They've built a nice system, mm -hmm. but not necessarily the program that a guy like Jay Wright has built. Here's the thing I want to mention, and going back to the tournaments, where this year was something special for Villanova. You beat the 16th seed, 87-61. Then a Colin Sexton Alabama team. Get out of here, 81-58. Can you name any other players on that Alabama team? No, I cannot because Alabama <laughs> was just Colin Sexton. Let's be completely honest. A lot of them fouled out, and Colin Sexton still got the job done. Four on five basketball. Then Virgin West Virginia, they beat that team. That game was close throughout. I was watching that one. And I was praying because, please, please, I picked West Virginia. Please let me be right. Please let me be right. And then Villanova pulled away. And I'm like, fuck, and I changed the channel. They won 90 to 78. Then a Texas Tech team that that offense was cruising throughout the tournament. Tough game against Florida that they had in the second round. Villanova says, get out of here, 71 to 59. I've gone back, though, and it's funny because looking through the last five years, so the 13 14 season, the one that you brought up, the. One and done performance. They beat Milwaukee. They were a two seed. Beat the 15th seed. Then lost to UConn. I'm going to quiz you here. 2014. Do you know how far UConn went that year? Take a wild guess. I'm just going to say they, they won it. They went all the way. That was Shabazz I, Napier. I, I couldn't remember the, the years. Out. Honestly, 2014 feels like 10 years I ago. I feel like that was um the Kevin. I, I want to say that was the Kevin Ollie. Year. Oh, Kevin that was the one where Shabazz Napier was the most valuable player of the tournament. Yeah, that was uh, the Kevin Alley Championship where he won it with Coach Calhoun's players. Sean will tell you that till the day he dies. Then the <laughs> 2015, they get bounced in the second round again. Who did they lose to? The eight seed NC State. This one, I think, is the fluke, and you'll hear why in a second. Because NC State, they just got bounced by Louisville the next game. Then you go on to 2016. Villanova obviously won the whole thing in 2016. Teams that they beat on the way. They blew out an Iowa team, 87-69. to 69, Blew out a Miami of Florida team, 2 over 7, now a 2 over a 3, 92-69. And then they beat Kansas, the Kansas rule 2 of whoever wins that matchup, Kansas-Villanova, the winner goes on to win that national championship. 2008, Kansas beat Villanova. Kansas then beat Memphis. Derrick Rose in the championship. Villanova this year beat Kansas 64-59, went on to win the whole thing over North Carolina. We know what happened in 2018, but 2017, they played a Wisconsin team, which, if I am not mistaken, that Wisconsin team was also a team that was pretty veteran-heavy and wasn't just a, oh, we're just a bunch of freshmen. So, I mean, that's the season where I use that NC State as, oh, that's the fluke season because they're either winning it all and blowing out teams while they do it. The Kansas one was the only blowout, in not blowout in 2016. But otherwise, it's like, wow, we lost to a team that won it all or, wow, we lost to a team that had experienced players. So, 
really the fluke was 2015 when they lost to NC State. So, are you are you saying that I'm saying they're a good team? I'm saying you are. Last, you you I'm are saying, saying the last five years. Okay. I can't. I can't. I couldn't tell with what you yeah, were saying. No. It didn't wasn't making sense to what me I, if you were going one way or another. What I am saying is based on the tournament games. You need a really good, experienced team to beat Villanova. That's what you need. You gotcha. need that gotcha. because it makes sense. You look no. at UConn; they won it all, and Shabazz Napier went like Shabazz Napier channeled his inner Kemba Walker that year and went off. They had all their role players working that one too. I believe that was the UConn team that had uh, Ryan Boatwright from uh, West Aurora. Out here in the Chicago land, it was a suburb area of Chicago by us. And you go through with the Wisconsin team, very veteran heavy team, I believe, that year. That NC State team's the only one where it's like, really? You, you lost to NC State? That's the team you lost to. Otherwise, they were winning it all. So I would say, based on looking at them, this Villanova team has been trending up, and this might be the beginning of them getting on a solid run, but. How is college basketball going to change? And our team's going to go more towards that experience side, except for like the Kentuckys and the Dukes, where they're just going to say, screw it. Like, Cal, screw it. I'm just going to do my one and dones because that's what works for me. And and you know what? That's that's okay. And it does work for him. It does work for him. It does work for Krzyzewski. Um But what works for Jay Wright is the other side. What works for him is veterans. What works for him is a team that is built off of guys that have been there a long time mm-hmm. and and have that experience. So I think that, it, again, it, it really comes down to your scheme, what's going to work best for you, and that you just go with that. And you don't, I don't think, verge off the, the, the path that you've set for yourself, that you believe in, the culture that you've set and that you've put in place. And I think Jay Wright, again, I think he did that for a little bit, but then he finally got back to it, and then he found that he was winning again, and he found that he was being able to put together some really good programs with some really good players. So I I continue, I I believe that we're going to continue to see this Villanova team be a very strong, solid, competitive team, and not just because that they're in the Big East and people, you know, will dog on the Big East and say that they're weak and you know they 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 certainly are not the ACC. I get that, but the the Big East has still had some competitive teams um, in 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 years past. So I think that Villanova going you know down the road farther, they're con- going to continue to be as long as they have Jay Wright at the, at the helm, which mm-hmm. I believe they will. They're going to continue to be a very strong basketball team, very good. And I think even, wasn't it, Ricky, the Big East was the conference that was trying to get the rule set for you have yeah. to stay at least two years. No, they are. So, we again, about that. They're, they're trying to make sure that they're not getting any one, uh, one-and-done players and they're getting guys to at least be in their systems for two years so they can hopefully win not just once but twice with them and be able to build off of that and by having those hopefully good players in their minds bring in other guys who want to play with them and be part of that team. Well, and the thing that I'm just looking up now is so that 2016-2017 Wisconsin team that beat them, Nigel Hayes was a senior that year, Bronson um, Coing was a senior that year. You also had guys like Jordan Hill who had a big 
tournament. He was a redshirt junior that year. Ethan Happ was a redshirt sophomore. So those are guys, yeah, I'm a junior, but I've been here for four years. I'm a sophomore, but I've been here for three years. So that was still, it wasn't the Frank Kamitsky Wisconsin team that went all the way, but it was still a veteran-heavy Wisconsin team. So really, that's what it needs. Like, looking at it, that's what it needs to take to beat this Villanova team. Otherwise, like we saw this year, they're going all the way. They're winning it all. And I'm not saying the teams they played were chopped liver. That no, West Virginia team, teams. that West Virginia team was a veteran heavy team too, and a disciplined team, especially on the defensive end. But I think with Villanova, am I ready to call them a goat team? No. But I think this is the beginning of what Jay Wright, like, yeah, he's been there since 2001, but this is the beginning of more consistency, and they're not just going to be that one-and-done team in the tournament. But I want to, before the camera shuts off on me, I want to ask you guys what you think. Let me know down below. Let us know. I always say me. I'm always thinking about myself. Sorry about that, Brandon. But let us know what you think down below in the comment section. What do you think of Villanova? Are they a GOAT team? Probably not, but I still want to hear your answer. And let us know what you think of this little run the last five years, like Brandon brought up, with Villanova and their tournament success. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Let's move on, though, into our next topic, Brandon, and what we're diving into rest of the show is NFL Draft. The draft is a little over a week away next Thursday, so we got this week and next week really to harp in on the NFL Draft, and then really it's just reacting to it, and then for us moving on to the NBA Draft, which is later in June. And the one topic I wanted to bring up is... Shaquem Griffin. And the reason why I wanted to bring up Shaquem Griffin is so recently I did a full seven round mock draft for mostvalpodcast.com. If you're listening to this in audio form, it may or may not be up by right now. By the time you're watching this, it'll be down below in the description. It will definitely be up by the time you are watching this on YouTube. And here's the thing with Griffin that I don't completely understand. I understand what kind of a player you're going to get with Griffin, the type of inspiration, the type of leader he can be, the type of speed that he possesses, a 4.38 40-yard dash at the combine. the fastest time since 2003. And the fastest time ever for a linebacker. Fastest ever for a linebacker. I watched a thing on ESPN today, like a little, not 30 for 30, but like that E60 thing that they do in SportsCenter. And when he called his brother um, Shaquille, after the combine, his brother said on the phone, you just made history. Just let that sink in. You just made history being the fastest time. Here's the thing, though. No matter where you look for Shaquem Griffin, like, for example, NFL.com, you look at their player profile, draft draft projection, if I can get it out of my mouth, draft projection, fourth, fifth round. However, you look at SI, different guys. Jonathan Jones, oh, he's a fifth rounder. You look at Peter King. Ah, he's a late third, early fourth. You look at Connor Orr. Oh, he's a 5'6". You look at Jenny um, Ventras. Oh, he's an early day three, which would be a fourth round pick. Everyone seems to be off wherever on this. I think Mel Kuyper even said on ESPN that Shaquem Griffin could be a 2-3 round prospect. What are you thinking? Where the hell... Is Shaquem Griffith going to get drafted? What do you think is going to be, what do you think his range is? And what do you think 
will be the spot? What round do you think he will fall in? Because I personally, in my seven-rounder, had him going early five, which would be about middle of day three of the NFL draft. Um, Well, to be quite honest with you, for a guy um, from UCF who earns AAC defensive um, honors, Player of the Year award, and then the Peach Bowl defensive MVP honors, Mm -hmm. this is a guy who can play. This is a guy who can go out there and play and who can be just as physical as anybody else out there on the field. And I I think that we really could see him be a 3-4, like a, a, a third or a fourth round pick. Because so late day some, two, early day someone's, three. Yeah, someone is going to, I don't want to use the word because I don't think it's the right term, mm-hmm. but it take a flyer on him earlier. And, say, and, scoop f- him, and scoop him up and say, hey, we've got to get this guy. He's too good. He's still there. Or someone's going to fall him. in love with him. Yeah. Just well, fall in love with so, him. I mean, honestly, I would be surprised if there wasn't a team that hasn't already fallen in love with him. Because mm-hmm. they don't just have one player, two players, or three players. They've got these boards on every yeah. single guy. they got all the linebackers mm-hmm. they want. they got all the quarterbacks they want. They, he's at the top of somebody's board. Yeah. Guarantee it. For their first-round pick, No. Probably not. For their second round pick, still probably not. Mm-hmm. But you start to get into the third round, certainly the fourth round. They're going to be looking for a guy like that. A guy who comes in to the NFL Combine with his bench press. His hope was for six. His personal best had been 11. He does freaking 20. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that you want to get. It's not just because he did 20 reps, because I'm one who's like, eh, you know, whatever you did, whatever. But 20 reps with one hand. The fact that he's doing that with one freaking hand Mm -hmm. and just the heart that he has, everything else, too. Just everything else, where he can play, how good he can be. Uh, A guy who could fit in on special teams. A guy who can fit in, obviously, as your outside linebacker. Mm -hmm. A guy who can play some dual roles and be a really, I think, versatile player on your team. That's that's the type of guy that you're looking for. And again, like I said, I would be surprised that there isn't a team already that hasn't fallen in love with him. Now, here's something. I got a few things that I just want to get out there. And the first thing is, this is from Connor Orr, SI.com, and his little snippet. And he says that, like, oh, he can see teams like Mike Patton in Green Bay, Matt Patricia in Detroit seem like interesting fits. But the thing that he says in the quote is, Seahawks GM John Schneider relayed a conversation with an NFL elder he had at the Combine about Griffin. The gist. The person told Schneider that he'd met legendary UCLA coach John Wooden in the past, and Griffin was up there in terms of inspiration. And that alone, here's the thing I'm going to bring up. And, like, the elephant obviously in the room when it comes to Shaquem Griffin is the physical limitation that he has, the one hand. Because let's be honest, I know that his agent said on the little, like, I'm going to call it E60 thing, that Sports Center had that, oh, Shaquem should be judged just like everyone else. He should be judged like he's got two hands. The thing is, some people are going to look at it and they're going to say, all right, he runs like speed don't lie, tape don't lie. You ran that fast 40, no one can take that away from you. You are quick. You can get to the quarterback. We see what you have on tape, what you've done at UCF. Nobody can take that away from you. But 
there are going to be like how you said guys teams have their their big boards they have everyone ranked up just like somebody who falls in love with you and I know it only takes one it only takes one coach one team to fall in love with you there are going to be coaches there are going to be organizations that don't that are on the other side because they don't want to take the flyer using the word you did they don't want to take the risk because here's the thing I was thinking about today and I know it's a completely different situation so before anyone jumps on me in the comment section I know this is a different situation but it still popped into my head Michael Sam now not a physical limitation with him it was more of a I'm going to say a political thing that held him back and it had nothing to do with having one arm having one leg anything like that but he was a guy who everyone fell in love with he was an inspirational story because of what he was going through, what he was fighting to, to become the first openly gay player to be drafted in the NFL, defensive player of the year at Missouri, where's Michael Sam now? Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen to Shaquem. I'm not going to say he's going to get drafted, inspirational story, and then nothing happens. But kind of play devil's advocate I just, I, it popped into my head. Like, I kind of, I've seen this before. I've seen this inspiration. Oh, wait, Michael Sam. But I know they're completely different. I just want to say that before someone jumps on me in the comment section. Yeah, you know, I really wouldn't even, I wouldn't even bring that up because I think that when it comes down to it, um, uh, Shaquem Griffin, he doesn't care. He, he just wants to be, he mm-hmm. just wants to be seen as a football player who can go out there and play football with anybody else and can be better than a, a, a number of other ones. And what you had mentioned was his ability to be able to get to the quarterback, just being able mm-hmm. to get to him. I mean, a perfect quarterback spy. Again, with that that 4.38 that he ran at the combine, he is quick. He is not letting that quarterback go. So that quarterback's going to try and roll out Oh, he is getting to him, mm-hmm. and he showed. I mean, number of clips. I'm watching him right here. Yeah. So, I, it is incredible, and that's when he was playing inside linebacker. And then also looking at clips here, and it's against Auburn, and he's the the, the they're not they're they're trying to bounce him back, push him back. He is not quitting. That's mm-hmm. another thing. He is not quitting on these plays, and. When you have the speed that he has, when you have the tenacity that he has, when you have the versatility that he has, all those things, that's going to make for a guy who you definitely want on your team. I, I mean, I truly, can you overlook the disability, the mm-hmm. fact that he only has one? Yeah, I think you can because he's playing out here like he's got five, you know, trying to get this quarterback down and bringing him down mm-hmm. like that. I think that that's one of those things where it is what it is, but it's like, yeah, and I, I didn't even notice. You know, it's it's kind of one of those things. I truly believe that, and I think that that's how he wants to probably want to be viewed. I, I, that's exactly how I would want to be viewed, but he is he brings so much to his game that again, like I mentioned earlier, I would be so surprised. There's a team that's already out there. They're saying, I know when I want to get him, and they may even go after him earlier because they want to make sure that they lock him in. Well, and here's the thing about Shaquem Griffin that I found interesting is 
You know, I don't want to say like, oh, he's got to thank anyone, but I am. You know who he has to thank for all of this, for most of this, for just this opportunity? Coach Frost. Coach Frost at UCF, because I was watching something before or just after the combine, like right after he ran the 40, they ran like the little inspirational pieces that now they're going to run on Shaquem Griffin. And he was talking about how early on, before Scott Frost's coaching staff came in there, that when him and his brother were at UCF, he had a feeling of like, he's like, you know what? I just wasn't getting my chances. I felt like I deserved more of a chance. And he's like, I almost wanted to just leave because he's like, I, it felt like, he's like, it felt like to me, you only recruited me so my brother would come here because Shaquille would not go, he he was going to go to the same school as Shaquem. They were going to go to the same school together. So Shaquem was like, I almost had that feeling like this coaching staff only gave me an offer so that they could get my brother, who is now in the NFL, I believe he plays for the Seahawks. But then Scott Frost comes in. And he sees what type of a player he is, what type of a leader he is. I'm going to say the inspiration part of it. And he gives him that shot, just gives him the shot. And then he proves everybody wrong. He makes that stance. He's now in the starting lineup. He is a pass rusher on the outside. Do I do I think Shaquem Griffin gets, deserves to be drafted in the NFL? Of course. The thing that I find funny, do I think he'll be a solid pass rusher? I do. It's like Von Miller said. They asked him right after the combine during, or did they ask him during Super Bowl week? I don't remember when it was, but it, it was right after the combine. He was on the Dan Patrick show, and they asked him, how high would you draft Shaquem Griffin? And he said, you know what, Dan? It's a good thing I'm not going to be in the war room because I would take him with our very first pick just because of, what he brings to a team, the attitude that he brings to a team. You can't teach that. You can like you can't teach that. You can't instill that. That's something you, you either have or you don't have. And then I found it funny. It's like, well, good thing you're not, because I think Bronco fans would be pissed off if you took Shaquem Griffin with the fifth overall pick in the NFL draft. But he's got a point. Shaquem Griffin possesses things that you can't teach. You can't just say, do this, be like this, act like this. It's just either you act like this or you don't act like this. And the thing I find funny is like, I look at other people. Cause for me, I could see him going in the third round. There were part of me that was like, you know what? I want to put him to this team in my full mock draft. But then there was a part of me that goes, no, teams are going to be skeptic. They're going to say, no, you know what? Let's try to get him for a bargain. Let's try to get him in the fifth. And that's when eventually he got to the Seahawks. And I was like, the Seahawks can't pass on an edge rusher like this for this many times, especially with how little picks that they have in the draft. But I look at it and you go down the different scouts and everything. And it's like, what will he be? Option one. To start, he can be a strong special teamer and a developmental linebacker with a chance to grow in the more. That's one person. The next person says that he could be, so he'll be the best special teams player on any team early and maybe a pass rushing and sub package role. Then you look a few down. Oh, he's a guy that can be a starter in this league. Everybody is all over the board when it comes to Shaquem Griffin. Do we know who's going to be right? No, but that's the thing I love about this prospect 
is it's all over the board. It's all over the board. Some people saying he's going to be an NFL starter. Other people saying, nah, he's just going to be a really good special teamer. And that makes me so interested in Shaquem Griffin come draft day. Well, draft weekend. So, Ricky, while you were giving everyone your 12-minute monologue. Sorry. Um, I, I went uh, for a while. I was, I was, <laughs> I'm giving you shit. Um, I was looking at a number of different mm-hmm. videos on him. He's fast. The guy is a little small. Mm-hmm. But... He is good. I mean, he is too good. He is much more than a special teamer. He's 6'1", he is, 227 is what he measured at the combine, what they have on NFL. So he's a little smaller. Yeah. I mean, he's a little smaller. I mean, when you're going up against uh, guys that are going to be 330-plus, mm-hmm. possibly, um, he's a little smaller, but his speed is what is going to make him in terms of that. If you can get off the edge really quickly and speed right past him— I mean, there are so many number of guys in the in the league that are, are are doing that and being very successful. Why can't he? Why can't he? I mean, I think that he has shown it so many times in college, and he can rip right through that line. That speed is crazy, and and, and it's not just getting to the quarterback. If you're doing a pitch right out to the running back, boom, he's there to get the running back for a four or five mm-hmm. yard loss. He's got a lot of skills, but d- his his speed is incredible. Mm-hmm. And and again, it's not just something that oh yeah, he was really fast in the forty. He can run really fast in a straight line. No, he can just zoom to wherever See, he needs to be. And that's that's what I think is going to make him such a good defender. Mm-hmm. And I, I I mean, he had this past season. He had seventy four tackles, seven sacks, two forced fumbles, and an interception. He could probably have those same type of stats in an NFL year. Seven sacks, maybe more, maybe more. And and uh, would some people say, Brandon, you're you're maybe getting a little too hyped and uh, up on this guy? Yeah, well, maybe I am. But I I think that if you've got speed, which is why I've been really excited with guys like Roquan Smith too, mm-hmm. because of his fundamentals, what he's able to do, and how he's able to get off the edge. I mean, some of these. These guys, these analysts, these experts, because, you know, they're all experts. They just know it all. Um, They've been able to say that Shaquem Griffin rivals the skills of Roquan Smith. Mm -hmm. And if they're saying that, that's much more than a special teams guy because no one's saying that, yeah, Roquan Smith, he'd be okay on special teams. (laughs) No. No. He's a starter. He'll be a starter in the NFL at that position. And Shaquem Griffin, uh, there there should be no reason why he isn't either. What do I think when it comes to Shaquem Griffin? The thing that I think the most is because of the speed, he is going to be like if I have a need for um, the blind side linebacker, the will, the weak side linebacker, the will linebacker, whatever you want to call it. If I have a need there, I'm targeting him. Where am I targeting him? That I still don't know because he's a prospect where I would think of this. I would say in my head, nowhere before the third, the third round, we start to think about it. But that's, and this is the beautiful thing of a draft. You got to play everything. If it gets to your pick in the third and you're like, oh, could we wait until the fourth, oh, we got to pick later in the third. Will he be there? You're playing a guessing game at this point. How how far is he going to fall? You know what? 
between this pick and our next pick, we got this much room. Who else needs this? Who can jump in? Is there anyone that, because that's one thing I haven't asked, is anyone going to trade up for him? Will anyone like him so much to where they get antsy? Like, ah, we got to trade up for him. And they go and get him. They just go and get him. And that's why I think this will be different than Michael Sam. Michael Sam, fall, 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 fall. Last possible chance. Boom, the Rams take him just to take him. This might be one where a team actually goes, no, no, no. We need to trade up and get him. We just got to get him because it's a completely different situation. The yeah, team's I, I, gonna come I think up. you're right. I think you're, but I think you're right though. That's why you have to stop talking about it like well, it's the same. I'm, I'm not so saying that, it's the same. Because you've just already said now com- two or I'm three times, now. completely different situations. I'm only they have twice. I said right two or twice. three times, so don't don't say it's three. It's in only there. been two's two. In there. But uh, the, I just want to I just want to for our mm-hmm. watching and viewing audience, viewing and listening audience, is that they are not. That's not. I, I, they're not anywhere similar. They're not. They're not anywhere similar. So I just want to put that to bed. And that's why I've said they're not the same. But that thought <laughs> did pop into up, my though. head. Here's the thing I'm trying to get to though. The reason why I think if I have a if I have a need at weak side linebacker, I am putting him at the top of that board is because the speed he possesses, I want to put him right on that blind side. That quarterback says hike, he turns his back. I don't want I I want to mess with that quarterback's clock. When's he coming? Ooh, did he get blocked? What what's the kind of clock I have to deal with? Because once that back is turned to him. That quarterback's going to deal with a lot. Where are my receivers? Where was my check down? They're not peering over that shoulder. If I can get them to peer over that shoulder, I've already gotten in their head. Shaquem can get to them. That's where I'm putting them. Shaquem Griffin, whatever team he goes to, if that team plays the New York Giants, (laughs) he'll have three sacks in the first half. That offensive line for the Giants is about as porous as Swiss freaking cheese. (laughs) They're some of the worst offensive linemen I've ever freaking seen. Mm -hmm. I mean, they might as well just move out of the way and say, Hey, Eli, want to get hammered today? And Eli falls to the ground and crumbles in fear. But uh, I would as well. But, I mean, that's I'm kind of joking, but most honestly not. But uh, he would. I mean, he's that quick. Where he's going to get past those fatties and get right to Eli, because I mean, an, if you have a bad, a poor offensive line, a guy like Shaquem Griffin, he'll feast. He'll feast on that because speed is going to kill the strength that they may have. You can just get around them. I got some teams really quick that I think could target Shaquem Griffin. The first one that I'm going to bring up is the Chicago Bears. They've got a little need at linebacker. They need to get really it's inside linebackers, the big one. But the thing I was going to ask you, you being a Bears fan, is if he was there in the fourth round and the Bears have two picks in the fourth round, would you be for Ryan Pace taking him in the fourth round? Absolutely. Absolutely. Another team that I think could take him, Dallas Cowboys. They need help on the outside at linebacker. They could go ahead and take him. You've got Denver needs help on the line. Like, there's a lot of teams that need linebacking help. The Packers could take him. The Lions could take him. Hell, the Colts could take him. But some of these teams are probably going to get that pass rusher that they want in the first top 10 picks. Did you say the Lions? The Lions could Because I would say he'd be a really good fit with the Lions. With Matt Patricia's defense? I think he'd be a really good fit. And the Lions' defense, some would say that, ah, they weren't that great last year. Well, they certainly made strides and improvements from where they were 
uh, two years ago or three years ago. So if they add him and his speed to a to a building, I think Lions defense, I think they they could be looking really good. They draft uh, uh, Geis on the other side. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that could be a really strong draft for the Detroit Lions. You mean if it you came mean other side like offensive side? Yeah, on the other side, okay. the offensive I, side. I, I what do you think? I, meant? I didn't. I didn't want anyone to call you out like, dude. Guys saying a linebacker, what are you talking about? Because other side, oh, yeah. you could think in, other, uh, other side, side linebacker. of the uh, instead of defense. Here's another one I want to gauge your interest in because this is also a team that you're a fan of. Do you think that, let's say, I want to say fourth round because I don't think the, this team will go for them in the third. Do you think that either with the 22nd or 24th pick in the fourth round, a team like the Chiefs could go after Shaquem Griffin? I mean, they they did lose Tom Bahali as pass rusher. I know he's a defensive end, but they do need a linebacker. Yeah, they do, and I think they need another playmaker. Now that mm-hmm. they have, I mean, that's I think for me that's the bigger thing for me now is that they need the. It won't be the same position. I get that, but they mm-hmm. need the new Marcus Peters without the attitude. Yeah, they they need another guy that's going to come in there, be a young guy who's going to make some big plays, who's going to flash a name, and who's going to become a really big name defensively in the NFL. Shaquem Griffin could do it. He could definitely do it again. I know he's not going to be the secondary guy. He's not going to be a you know a cornerback and, and getting a lot of interceptions. But could he bring that that type of energy and stuff like that? You bet your ass he could. Well, and one of the last things, and this is kind of my shocker, is you want to know how high I think he'll go. Like the first team, if he's going to go off the board, this is the pick he'll do it. 72nd overall in the third round, the Jets. Jets go quarterback in the first. They sit, unless they trade up, but I'm just saying they sit for now. Sit all the way through the second, third round. They go, you know what? We need a pass rusher. We need, Bull says we need a pass rusher. I like this kid. Go out and get him. That's as high as I think he's going to go, is right there, eighth pick of the third round to the Jets. Uh, I, I don't know about that, but. Um, Brian's like, you're going, a little, you're going a little bit high there, Ricky. Well, I don't know. I just, can anything make the Jets better? Uh, I. I don't You're know. You're like this is just a horrible situation for Shaquem. I don't want him to be that'd in be, that. That'd be high, that'd be high, but my whole thing is that I also am just looking at the I don't want to say I'm looking at the fit cuz I think he'd fit anywhere. I mean, any team mm-hmm. would be happy to have him. Any team that but, needs a pass rush. Yeah. Which <laughs> is If you everybody. look at a lot of defenses, uh they they all need one. What do they say? Um, you can never have too much pass rush? Is but that what they say? It's a, no, I've never heard that, but they <laughs> might. They might say it quietly behind closed doors. <laughs> Is that I almost look at, do the Jets need anything before that? Yeah. Do they need anything before that? I think that they could probably, um, well, honestly. I, I, a they, running back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, <laughs> need, more, they need more offensive yeah. weapons because Robbie Anderson mm-hmm. came on and he looked good. But then Jermaine Kirsch is on the other side. He really wasn't doing a whole lot. Offensive they, line. They could, they could, yeah, add there. I just feel like there's bigger and, issues with the New York Jets than that. But, but. They do need a pass rush because that is that is also a a, a need. So it's and just like, what's the biggest one? I would say it's offense, but I'm also an offensive-minded type of guy. And just to end it, the thing that I think will push, the one thing that will push Shaquem Griffin's draft stock back and back and rounds is exactly what you said. Where a team like the Jets might go, man, I really want to take him here. But you know what? We need a running back. Ah, we need a wide receiver. We need this. We need that. And 
based off of the depth of wide receivers, the depth of this position, that position, teams might go, you know, I really like him. He could he, on our board, he's the BPA. But we really need to hit this need because I don't think we're going to get the same type of player later at it. And that's the only thing that might push him to four or five. I don't think he goes past the fifth round. I would say he's a three through five, which is craziest thing. The craziest thing about him is that he's he's got the widest range of a projection for me personally, really quickly before the camera shuts off. Any final thoughts? No, I'm good. I'm very excited about this kid, though. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section about Shaquem Griffin, about his draft stock, and give us your prediction. What round and what team does he go to and what team would you like him to go to? Let us know down below in the comment section. But, Brandon, let's move on into our final topic, still staying within the NFL draft region, and this time we are talking about the running backs of the NFL draft. However, we're keeping one out of the discussion because, A, we've talked about him enough. Two, we know that he's the best running back in the whole damn draft. And number three, he has been on number one or at number one at our or on our at our at number one on our big board. That's what I've been trying to say. Oh, okay. Saquon Barkley, which Sean on the draft podcast that we did when we got everyone together tried to tell me that Josh Allen was my number one prospect. And I went, no, no, no. It's been Saquon Barkley the whole entire time. So what we're doing is we're ranking the running backs behind Saquon Barkley. I want to ask you, Saquon Barkley's off the board. Your team, beginning in the second round, is on the clock. You're going to look for a running back. Who are you taking? Who are you taking as the second running back off the board if that's the position you were going with and Saquon was gone? Well, I've gone a little bit back and forth here, um, but I, I think I'd probably go with Darius Geis. Okay. I think I'd go I'm with— I'm going to guess the other one was Penny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right, and I don't think that uh, a lot of people would probably agree with that, but nor do I care. Um, I, I I think I would go with Darius Geis because I think that he offers probably the most in, in terms of a guy who is going to come into the NFL and who's going to be pretty solid. Like, you know what you're going to get from him. Mm-hmm. Again, I really feel like he's a uh, Leonard Fournette, like, 2.0. I, and I, I think that we saw... Leonard and I've said this before. I said this. I think when we talked about him the last time with with Darius Geis was that when Leonard Fournette was not there and he mm-hmm. was injured, I almost didn't realize it because Geis was running just like him, same type of runner, same type of um, cuts and everything mm-hmm. like that. With with how he plays, he's he's really good. I I think he's he's just he's a solid runner. He's a guy that you again you know what you're going to get from him, and he's a guy who can again tow the rock twenty twenty five times a game, and I think is going to be just fine. I know that Geis has had his own little bit of some injury problems, but he seems to be healthy right now. That's what's important. That's why I'm I would be looking at Darius Geis as the the second guy after Saquon Barkley. Now here's the thing I want to ask you because I asked the other guys at MVP, the Outcast, Dave, Sean, Mark about this because when you look at the draft profile for Geis, they kind of mention how. He's a guy that, like Leonard Fournette, 
a very I'm going to ground and pound it, I'm going to try to run right through you mm-hmm. type of a player. Kind of like how Leonard Fournette, remember the game against Old Miss, where, as Sean put it when we watched it, put the defender in his grave. Just bowled right through him. Defender just went right through the ground. He was put in his grave. That's how hard that Leonard Fournette hit him. There are some saying that, and I'm reading it right here, Geis's running style could lead to a shorter career, but he has the chance to make a big splash early. Do you worry about that with Darius Geis? Hey, how he runs, how long am I going to have him, have him effectively, or is this run style going to get him injured early and we're going to have a short shelf life? Uh, I don't I, I don't necessarily think so. I don't think that you can go into that thinking, oh, well, because he has this kind of ground and pound bruising running style that you know he's he's going to get injured right away or he we won't have him as long as we'd like i mean we already know that mm-hmm. running backs we only have them for a little while anyway we really hit, we really only have them for once well, they hit 30 it's like you're over the hill as a running back well i was just going to say we a lot of times we only have them for 5 to yep. 7 years maybe mm-hmm. maybe and that's if they're able to stay pretty healthy yeah. throughout the entire time uh, but I, I don't think that you can be scared off by that, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw Leonard Fournette. Again, I, I, I'm really going based off of Leonard Fournette because I find him to be so similar. Look at what he did this past year. He was suspended for a game. I think he was injured for another one or two. But he was really good when he was playing. And it's mm-hmm. not like he missed six games or anything like that. I mean, he had the wear and tear of an NFL season and of his first NFL season. I think with another offseason under his belt, I think that he will be pretty good, ready for next year. And I think probably be able to avoid some injury. Darius Geis, I do believe, will be similar. He's got, yes, he's got an aggressive running style. But I think that's what makes him more attractive as a running back and and as a top pick when well, I don't want to say a top pick but when I, mm-hmm. as is a top running back pick um in this in this draft so no I'm not going to get scared off by that so here's the thing that I think this is my last thought with Darius guys before cuz how we're going to do it is I'm going to ask you like that was your one your next one and then kind of tell you where I would place them yeah. whereas for Darius guys for me there is, yeah, there's that concern because if it's a helmet to helmet hit or he buries his head and goes right into him helmet first, you could get some type of a freak injury. However, the pro comp that you see when you look at his profile, Marshawn Lynch, if he hits that pro comp, give me that all day. I'll take beast mode on my team. Well, not beast mode that you see now, but the beast mode that was with Seattle. the Seahawks. Yeah. yeah, I'd take that all day, every day. Well, uh, However, for me, I'm leaning more towards Geis as my, and this might shock you, as my second running back behind, not behind Barkley, but there's so someone third, else. So yes, third my third back. running back, first one or second one. I think I, I think Barkley. I know who I who who you're gonna go with. Who? I'm gonna say Sony Michelle. Sh- Sony Michelle. I just watching him play. For me, it's more of like I get that. Michelle, like Sony Michelle's not a creative runner and he's more of a north south guy. But the thing that I like more when it comes to Michelle is his size and more importantly, his pass protection. Because as a running back, like as a running back, there are some things now with more of these offenses 
you're not just asked to be a runner. Run straight forward. Run into the box. Run this way. It's you got to catch the ball. You've got to block. You have to have some pass protection. And he is a guy for me that can block in the backfield because of his size. That's how he can hold his own back there. Yeah, he's a north-south runner, but he might be one that I have behind someone else and I kind of have like a committee to where it's like, yeah, you're not a creative runner, but I'm not asking you to be that creative runner. And he's got the vision to find holes for me. They're like just why I know it's one game that I'm singling out and it's a whole body of work, but just think back to that game against Oklahoma, how great he was in that game That is his best. That is his potential. That is how you use him. And that, to me, I rather, for my team, I rather have a back like that than a bruiser like Darius Geis, who might have more of a risk of a shorter shelf life, although it's not guaranteed that he will have a short shelf life because of his run style. Where would you have Sony Michelle? Would you have him right behind Geis, or would you have someone no, else before no, him? No, I, I have someone else before Who, him. Who's your one behind Geis? I've got Rashad Penny. Okay. And I've got Rashad Penny because I think that he brings you a lot of the same types of things, not in the same way. He's mm-hmm. Again, I'm not looking at him on the same level, but some of the same types of things that he could do for you as a Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. He can, he's a good runner. He's mm-hmm. a strong runner. He's a pretty decent pass catcher. He's a guy who can go back on on special teams, take a punt, and take it to the house. Kick return, get it, take it to the house. Had two of those last year, I think one punt return for a touchdown. So he's versatile in that sense. He could play a, a couple of different areas, and he's successful at playing in those areas. And And I think that... Again, like you said, you want somebody who can, you're looking for a lot of times now in the NFL, you're looking for a guy who can kind of do it all, you know, that he is going to catch out of the backfield. And, uh, you know, Rashad Penny, almost similar to maybe a Deion Lewis, uh, like what he was for the Patriots, pretty darn good runner. He's going to get you five yards every single time. Mm -hmm. At least when he runs, he can catch it over the middle. Um, If you you need him to do that, he'll catch it off to the side. I mean, he he can really get probably about end of day with five catches, 36 yards, two touchdowns, and he's the running back. And then he can go back on a punt return. He could go back on a kick return. He can do those types of things. And Deion Lewis ended up getting himself a nice contract to go to the Tennessee Titans, where he'll probably be doing the same type of thing uh, with Derrick Henry being the uh, bruising running back. But that, we've seen, is very successful Mm -hmm. in the NFL, which is why I believe a guy like Rashad Penny, I'd love to be able to see him do the same type of thing. Now, for me, the thing that, like, for me, when it comes to Rashad Penny, so we're kind of mix and matching here, and at the end I'll put up a graphic and we'll go through are one through kind of five here. Because for me, I have five backs. There's really five oh, backs. No, I don't really behind. care after the top three. For me, it's Sony Michelle, Darius Geis, then a mystery running back, then Rashad Penny. And for me, the thing that I look at when it comes to Rashad Penny is, so he was a volume carry running back at San Diego State. What can you do, though, if I don't give you that many carries? Because let's be honest, the NFL— Probably be fresher. Very, there's that side of it. Fresher, might not be as exhausted, fatigued. The thing is, though, 
to me, he doesn't like, yeah, he's a good runner, but he's not a home run hitter to me. He doesn't have the, like, after he gets through, doesn't have that burst of speed. He's just got one speed. So it's like, yeah, I cut the corner, but there's a good chance that an NFL linebacker or an NFL corner is going to catch him at this next level. He doesn't have that, like, next burst of, like, I'm hitting the turbo button and I'm going up the sideline. However, he is, to me, a good back. So he's in the top five behind Saquon. It's just, I like a little other guys before him. And the guy that I have ahead of him is actually the Southern Cal product, the Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones the third, I think, but mm-hmm. just Ronald Jones. And the thing I like the most about him is he's a guy that has that explosiveness. So it's kind of like two tiers for me. The first tier behind Saquon is Geis and Michelle. I like Michelle better than Geis because Michelle is probably going to have a longer shelf life. Maybe if Geis becomes the Marshawn Lynch, then whatever. He's better, and he proved that he was better. But I like what I see on tape from Michelle, especially finding the holes, getting through the holes, getting to the next level, and going into the end zone most times. Then there's that second tier that's Penny and Jones. And I like Jones because he has that explosiveness. He has that wiggle to kind of get, uh, there's the lane I want. I'm going to wiggle into that lane to make sure I get through that lane. He's more of a big play talent. Maybe that's it to me. I like, from my running backs, I like the I like the opportunity of like, if I'm going to pass, 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 and teams are going to back off that run game, when I go to you, I don't just want four yards, three yards. I want a possibility, oh, this team didn't put a guy here in the box. Boom, we hit him for 10 yards. We hit him for 11 yards. We had that big play. 12 yards is a big play for me running the ball to where, oh, now they come up, and now my quarterback can go over that top because now they're thinking about the run and kind of keeping that defense off balance. That's why in the second tier I would have Jones a little bit a little bit above Penny. Well, see, but I would I would have Rashad Penny because you talk about, you know, a home run hitter and stuff like that. Well, you know, it's it's nice when a, a team has a running back who can kind of do all those things mm-hmm. and they could be a home run on with the run. They could be a home run in the passing game. They're going to throw defenses off that way. Uh, you're going to have to watch out for the running back because they could slip out and they could end up being a guy who catches the pass and goes all the way for the touchdown. Mm-hmm. I, I think th- that's that's also, you, you have to look for how can they be creative instead of having to go with two or three different running backs and have a committee. I think a team would most likely prefer to have a running back who can do it all and who they can use in the right way uh, to be most effective. That to me is also kind of, you're hitting a home run as a team if you have mm-hmm. a guy like that. And I think also that that adds another level when you've got a guy who's not just a running back. Mm-hmm. Now, Darius Geis is great. I think he's going to be a great running back. But I think I like Saquon Barkley so much because he can do so many different things and he can do them all really well. And he's not just a running back. He's a playmaker. And I knew we, I would bring him into it. this. We get it. Saquon's at the top. But, right? but all I'm saying, though, is that. <laughs> he's the everything man. But and, but that's what a team wants. Exactly. Uh, teams, teams in the NFL now aren't just, they don't just want to settle mm-hmm. for the running back of, you know, years of ago. When all you did. Yesteryear, I meant to say. All thing. you did was run. Yeah. Now they want, because one team did it. 
and now they all want to do it. You got to catch the ball. You've got to run. You've got to be a good pass catcher. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, we're going to get another guy that's going to hey, dive into your carries. Depending on the system, you might have to be like uh, what? I, I know it's not the running back here, but like uh, Antoine Randall. Ah, we're going to give it to the wide receiver, and you're going to throw the ball too. Yeah, I mean, so it's <laughs> trick it, play. We got to throw it too. You know, it's it's one of those things. So as a running back, mm-hmm. there's an opportunity also to have a more illustrious career if you can do all those things. Now, just kind of at That's the just end, me. That's just me. Just kind of at the end here. So for me, there are, just to give, before we get into these final two that I want to bring up, because to me there are, behind Saquon Barkley, there's one, two, three, four, five, six total running backs that are like, okay, these are the guys that if I really need a running back and I can't get Saquon, these are the ones that I need. And for me... I'll say them in my order, but we've kind of talked about most of them. Sony Michelle, Darius Geis, Ronald Jones, and then Rashad Penny. The other two that we haven't talked about that I just wanted to ask you about here at the end, both of them are SEC guys. The first one's a guy really high on a few years ago, has a knee injury, came back, was kind of the backup, I would say, to Sony Michelle. What do you think the thought processes for yourself on a guy like Nick Chubb coming into the draft. I, I, I love Nick Chubb. I, I think that you have to understand that, yes, he had a gruesome, mm-hmm. terrible injury. But he bounced back from that, and he was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty darn good last year. I mean, he was incredible. He, he If he wouldn't have had the injury, he would have already been in the NFL. You know what's the best but, thing I like about him? And he would have been probably one of the best running backs. He doesn't fumble the ball. He is he takes care of the ball really well. The thing with me with Chubb, it's easy. The thing I love the most, takes care of the ball well. Thing I hate the most is his vision. Like the way he sees Lane sometimes, it kind of feels like predetermined. Like, okay, I'm gonna go here, and all a team has to do is just guess the right lane. And you stop him at the next level. Like, that's the thing with Nick Chubb. But Nick Chubb's a guy that when I did my seven-round mock draft, I was very upset that the Broncos got rid of C.J. Anderson because I originally had it to where I'm going through it and I'm like the Vikings late third. And I'm like, Nick Chubb's on the board still? How is he on the board still? Snatch him up. Snatch him up. Have a backfield of Dalvin Cook, Latavius Murray, Nick Chubb to take over for the Jarek McKinnon, who's now in San Francisco. Then the Broncos go ahead and release uh, C.J. Anderson, so they had to take a running back in the second round, which kind of moved all the running backs up. Now Nick Chubb's a Detroit Lion. He's not a Minnesota Viking, so I was upset about that one. The other guy I just want to mention here at the end, and it's a guy who did well for the Auburn Tigers, but I just don't know where he's going to be. Some have him 2-3. I think he could fall into the fourth round. What do you think the projection should be, and how should teams look at a Kirion Johnson coming into the draft? Um, He's probably a second or third round guy. I think that uh, with Kirion Johnson, again, he's kind of one of those guys where I remember watching a game um, – Against Alabama, the game against Alabama, where Auburn beat Alabama this past.
past season. Mm-hmm. And you talk a guy with about a guy and uh, in, in their vision. He had pretty good vision, and he was pretty darn good with it. Wait, being able to have patience, wait for the hole to open up, or being able to wait and see. Okay, this one's not. Got him now. Move over here. So, and that's that's one of the things that I thought hurt Alabama the most in that game is that he ran really well against them. Do you have any? And here's the thing. Do you have anything? Ah, how do I want to phrase this? The one thing that I hear that's the knock on him is his build, his size. He's six foot, two hundred and twelve. Like usually, we're seeing like um the other guys that we talked about were like Nick Chubb is two twenty eight. You've got guys like Penny, who is Ronald Jones is six foot two hundred pounds. So Sony Michelle is 5'11", 215. So it doesn't bother Dar- you. Darius Geis is five eleven two eighteen. It doesn't matter. He's the okay. same as most of these guys. Because the thing that and I read it here, and this is why I ask. Because to me, I didn't really see it when watching film, but like it says here, has unusual build. For the position with linear frame and thin hips. To me, I look at it and I go, I didn't even notice it on film. Because like you said, the other guys are more towards that, especially Darius Geis. He's, if I'm not mistaken, the smallest of the ones that we read off. Where, yeah, some teams might want that. Oh, we want you to be like 220, 228. He's not. The smallest, but he's, he's not. Well, no. I'm talking like height-wise. No, His he's height's not. not the shortest. No, he's okay. not. Not based not based on what I'm okay. I'm looking at. It, this has a as a lot of them as a five eleven. Okay, okay, but that's the thing that I was looking at. Like maybe is it his size that's it? Because on a lot of mock drafts, he is the last one of these running backs taken. He is the very last one, and I wonder with Kirion Johnson is at the next level. What will he be? Will he become a running back to where? He is a stable option in a committee. Is he the main guy with the team? Or is he just the guy where it's like, hey, we have our main guy over here, but we have Johnson for our third down duties to be that third down up the middle guy or that third down where all he understands how to have the pressure come at him. Kieran Johnson, he does not strike me as a third down guy. A third down guy is a guy who's going to be able to probably catch the ball out of mm-hmm. the backfield and get you a yard. Uh, he strikes me as being a, a, a bit bit more than that. Um, so I, I just I don't see that necessarily. And again, my favorite part of all mm-hmm. of this is that we we think we know. We think we know. We, we think, don't. Oh, oh, we don't. Sony Michelle, Darius Geis, yeah, they're gonna, they'll be first, you know, first round or early second, and blah blah blah, and uh, boom, the one who turns out being the best one is the guy who's taken in round two or three. So that's that's always interesting to see how it all pans out a year or two down the road. Well, any final thoughts on the running backs before we go ahead and close out the podcast? No. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below about the running backs that we talked about. Which ones do you like? Pass Saquon Barkley, a Sony Michelle, a Geis, a Penny, a Jones, a Chubb, a Johnson. Let us know if there's any that we did not talk about that you're like, guys, why didn't you talk about this running back? Let us know down below in the comment section. If you're listening to the full podcast, either on YouTube or podcast services around the world, thank you guys for checking out the full podcast housekeeping here at the end. If you liked what you heard or listened to, make sure to check out patreon.com backslash most valid podcast. We'll have Matthew on the podcast this month. 
If you want to be like Matthew, check out patreon.com backslash most podcast. We have our store down below in the description. That's where you can get your MVP t-shirts. Mostvalopodcast.com is where we have everything for MVP each and every day. And last but not least, Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Please go ahead and give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. want to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. Thank you guys for listening on podcast services around the world. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.